My name is Chuck. I have a new life in Christ. I'm in recovery for lust, control, codependency, and this week, letting my expectations affect my serenity. Hey, guys, good to be with you tonight. So tonight, we're continuing our series on emotions, and I've been given the opportunity to talk about the emotion of grief. And so I thought the best way to do that was to let you at least have a moment or two in my world as an early child. So I have what my wife calls OCS. It's her term. It means only child syndrome. So I am an only child of an only child of an only child. Three generations of only children. The problem with OCS, as she defines it, is that those of us that have it believe because we've been told we are precious, beautiful, wonderful, good, and right most of our life. We just anticipate that we are. And that sometimes creates some problems. It has even throughout my adult life. Now, I will tell you what happens with only child syndrome too. You become incredibly close to your, either your mother or your father. In my case, I became incredibly close to my mother. I, I think I have a picture of her that I'd like you to see. I probably shouldn't have looked. As an only child, she reminded me that everything in my world was kind and good and I was safe. But that safety was tested when I was five years old. I went to live with my grandmother because my mom got sick and I got to go and see her in the hospital. And for a while she looked great and she would tell me things like, I'm gonna get better and I'm gonna be home soon. But she was gonna be unable to keep that promise. Soon she was unable to get out of bed and you have to remember in the early 1960s, medical technology isn't what it is today. You didn't have things like PET scans and MRIs that let you see things. And so she had 27 exploratory surgeries that resulted in a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. The last time I saw her, she said these words to me. She says, Jesus loves you. Love him back. Be good. Do what your grandparents and your dad tell you to do. Always remember, I love you. And I'll see you in heaven. I had no idea what all that meant. And then hours after that conversation, she died. That happened 56 years ago. I was barely six years old. And I tell people today, it is still the greatest loss in my life. So what is this grief that we're talking about tonight? Grief is the anguish experienced after significant loss, usually the death of a beloved person. Grief may also take the form of regret for something lost, remorse for something done, or sorrow for a mishap to oneself. For some, we grieve over the death of a dream or an expectation that is unfulfilled. See, I got to experience grief in that moment, and as you see, I still continue 
to live with it today. I learned that grief comes in waves, and at times the complexity of grief is absolutely overwhelming, and at times it's paralyzing. And I found out that grief was more in this case than my mom's death and the separation that came through that. Through that. I grieved the fact that my father walked out on us when I was two years old as he pursued an affair with a woman that he was a co-worker with that he ended up divorcing my mom for and marrying. I grieved over the brokenness that that divorce caused my mom for she never got over it. I grieved that the only person that she wanted in that room as she died was my dad. And he wasn't there. And I grieved the destruction that decision had in his life. The devastation it caused. And particularly in the later years of his life, how he reviewed those events and how he just couldn't come to peace. Ultimately, I grieve the brokenness of the world and the hurt and pain that we all experience in it. But here is the thing I didn't expect. I found out that God grieves that brokenness too. Think about it. In Genesis 1 and 2, the world is created perfect. God says it's good. And when he creates man, he says he's very good. And then Genesis 3 happens. And we are conned to believe that we can be like God. Eve eats of the fruit of the tree that is forbidden. Adam does too. Sin now enters the world and everything in that moment is changed. Within a generation, You have Cain who kills his brother Abel, the first murder that occurs in that moment. And a few generations after that, you have Noah that's born born into a world that is marked with corruption and violence. And it didn't take long from one single act to where chaos reigns everywhere. Now imagine what that must be like for God to experience. He created a perfect world. He made man to cultivate that perfect earth. And these humans made in his own image are now hurting one another. There's this passage in Genesis 6 that I want us to kind of unpack for a second. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. God doesn't say he's angry at humanity for their sin or frustrated that he's going to create a new plan to redeem it all. In fact, what it does indicate is he's grieved over the impact that sin has had on his children. Violence, corruption, evil, injustice, suffering, all of those things that you and I experience, all of the brokenness of this world that we have experienced, both of our own volition and as it's been done to us, God grieves greatly. We see it again and again in the Old Testament as God intentionally connects his own heart to humanity and that humanity's condition affects him deeply. 
I used to think that injustice was wrong because of impersonal or abstract reasons, like because it broke the law and order of society. But that also fit well because I had a misplaced view of God. I saw him as distant and removed, a God who was punitive, who sought to punish us for every evil thing that we had done. But when you read the Bible and you understand that's not who God is at all, his reasons for hating sin and injustice are personal because they reflect his heart as a loving father. As I walked into the rooms of recovery years ago, I began to understand what all that meant. As I began a step four inventory in Regen, I began to grieve two specific parts of that inventory, harms to me and harms by me. When I don't grieve the harms I have suffered, those harms begin to affect and control my relationships. And so we've all got to be honest and admit to ourselves that we really have been hurt by the sins of other people. And it is altogether important and altogether necessary that we grieve those things. And when we don't, shame from sin not dealt with makes me insecure and keeps me from the intimacy I need in my relationships with others, and ultimately it will keep me from the intimacy I desire with God. But there was a second part of that inventory I had to grieve as well. I also had to learn to grieve the harms that I had done to others. In recovery, I really began to learn the difference between godly grief and worldly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10 was really helpful here. The passage says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So there are two ways to grieve. There is a godly way to grieve and there is a worldly way to grieve. So what is the difference between the two? Godly sorrow is a distress that drives us back to God. It is God taking our life and putting it back where it was always supposed to do. So when you get the picture of godly grief here, it's acknowledging sin, it's feeling sorrow over sin, but it's also literally a grieving over that sin where it becomes repulsive to us. Think about Psalm 51 when David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He is grieving over his sin and he seeks God's mercy. He cries out, not just because he sinned against Bathsheba, not just because he sinned against Uriah the Hittite, who is Bathsheba's husband and one of the mighty men that literally had protected David, but he grieves because of what his sin has done between he and God. He sits there and says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Worldly grief and sorrow is different, though. Worldly sorrow may acknowledge sin and may even feel sorrow over sin, but it's not sorrow over hurting someone else and ultimately not sorrow over not being in right relationship with God due to our own disobedience. Maybe it's sorrow over getting caught. Maybe it's sorrow over the effects of sin in our life. Maybe it's sorrow over the consequences that sin has caused in our life. It is not the sorrowful realization that one has offended the holy God of the universe, disobeyed him, and in many ways and in many times hurt others. That doesn't happen 
in worldly sorrow. And in that way, worldly grief produces not repentance that leads to salvation in life. Worldly grief and worldly sorrow produces death. As I found out with my mom's death, grief and the process of grieving is incredibly complex. So many times grief begins with this tangible loss, but as we really begin to process through all of that, we discover that what we're ultimately grieving is the brokenness of this world because of what sin has done to it. And so tonight, if you are grieving in any of the ways that we have talked about or in ways that we haven't, you're gonna be in a small group. Reach out to your leaders. Be honest about that moment. Allow yourself the gift of being loved as you go through that. Paul tells us that what godly sorrow and godly grief produces is repentance. And repentance is the turning away from sin, grieving it to the point that you sit there and you go, I can't stand this. And you turn and you follow Christ. You come and you get in the right relationship with him. It's the leaving and the dying of the old and the birth of the new. It is a full surrender to who God is. And I want you to remember this. God is grieved over the brokenness of our world. And instead of running away from it, he ran to it. In fact, he sent his son, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, emptying himself. He came in the appearance of a man, and he came in the person of Christ. He is the one in the midst of the grief that we never, ever expected, says these words. Come. Come, you who are heavy laden. Come, you who are broken over sins you have committed as well as sins that have been done to you. Come, and I will be the one who gives you rest. And he will do just that. And the body of Christ in this room and in the groups you will be in will be the hands and the feet of Jesus to remind you of that truth.